Well, we decided not to do the same worship song back to back, but uh, we're ready to go. So welcome this morning. We're going to continue on in our, our study through the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is got this beautiful structure to it, where the first half of the book is all about who we are, what, what Jesus has done to create us into these new creations. And then the second half of the book is chapters four to six is now how do we live in light of that? Now, it's really important to understand. It's not about what we need to do in order to become, but the structures laid out is this is who you are. Now, this is how you get to live. And so we have this beautiful structure that we've been going through and we're, we're coming to the close of chapter three. We're not quite there yet. We're going to get there next week, but it's been it's really cool to come to an end of this section because I'm going to use an analogy. It's an often overused analogy, but I think it's a great analogy, especially for this picture of this passage that we're going to be studying, is that the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is kind of like climbing a mountain. And, and we started off at in verse one of chapter one in the foothills, and we've been climbing the mountain with each verse, each verse ascending higher and higher. And now we come to this final almost final passage in, uh, in chapter 3, and it's the final ascent. And, and the next week, when we get to the last two chapters of verse 3, it's sort of the, an opportunity to, to take a look at the view. But this is the final ascent. This is the last part that gets us to the top of the mountain. And then in chapters 4 to 6, he's going to explain what does it mean, what, is it, what does this look like in, in how we live on top of the mountain in, in terms of where we are. But what's really cool about this passage we're going to be studying this morning is it's Paul's prayer for you and I. You know, a, a few weeks back, Josh made the comment that's just a way to get us thinking. If he were to ask the Apostle Paul anything, you know, to, for Paul to pray for, what would it be? Well, this morning we get to see what would Paul choose for us? What was Paul's prayer for us? And so this is a special passage, a very cool passage. So wherever you are this morning... Get, comfy, get comfortable, get your, your cereal of choice, your, your toast, your coffee, and uh, let's, look, let's start with reading the passage together. So in Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, what a powerful passage and what a cool passage that we get to look at this morning and study. And I, I pray, Father, that as we, as we look at these, this passage and begin to understand all that, that Paul is praying for, that we would be encouraged by that, that we would see the hope and the life and the power that is available to us today, especially today as we live in this world, this crazy world. So thank you, Jesus, for what you're about to do. Speak through me, say what you need to say, but may all of us be encouraged this morning. In your name we pray, amen. 
Well, this, this passage begins with for this reason, and it's, it's really an echo back to, to chapter 3 and verse 1 at the very beginning of this passage. And, and Paul was beginning this prayer in verse 1, and then he, he kind of interrupted himself. And so verses 2 to 13 is, is Paul taking a pause. He's, he's taking a bit of a rabbit trail, but what a rabbit trail it was. I mean, at the heart of that passage, we saw Paul explicitly stating this mystery that is the, the gospel, explicitly stating what it is that you and I possess. And, and what he's saying here is that we're no longer under the old covenant, that under the old covenant was a whole other way of living, a whole other system. It was one where the Jewish people had to earn and fight for every blessing and for the having living under that constant fear of losing it. And that's how they lived. But now, you and I, we've been, we've been given something new. We've been given something exciting. He, he talked about how this mystery has been revealed in Christ. It's a, it's a mystery where you and I, we become fellow heirs and, and fellow members of one body and fellow partakers of the promise that's all in Jesus. And so we have this new life. And, and so under the new covenant, we have a new way of operating. Under the new covenant, we now have access, we have standing, we have approval, we have the strength and the significance and the value due to not what we do, but who we are as children of God. We're born again, born as brand new creations, as entirely new people into God's family, a family where where God is our father, he's our protector, he's our provider, he's our comforter. And so this is the prayer that Paul's going to be making here in this passage. It's a prayer that he's making to the Father. And, and the, the Greek word here he uses here, it's, it's not the typical Abba. It's actually a more of official term, Father. And, and I think that Paul's doing that because in Paul's day, fathers were, were highly respected, they were, they were the head of the home. They had all the authority, all the control. They controlled the finances and all the decisions that happened in that family. And that, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. That just was the reality. It was the fact at that time that the, the person who held all the power was the father. And that's, this is the father that Paul's coming to. He's coming to a father who is in complete control, who has the the authority and the power and the ability to look after us. And so he is a child approaching his father, but not as a child that is coming to his father asking for $20. Don't think of it that way. Don't even think of it as a, as a child coming asking for $100 or $1,000. No, think bigger. Think bigger because he's coming to this father on the basis of the riches of his glory. So think about it. To, to kind of give you a comparable illustration of the degree to which Paul is, is asking or, or looking to, to God the Father, is he saying to him, Dad, I see the, the richest house in the region. I want to buy it. You know the one with the indoor pool and the indoor bowling alley and golf course and the 10-car garage and all the fancy cars that go in, you know, are in the, the garage? Yeah, that's the one I want to buy. Can I have some money? That's the, that's the kind of ask that Paul's asking for here. Think big. Think enormous. And so that's what he's saying here. To, to this father, 
So in, in verses 14 and 15, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives his name. I want to want to focus in on that last part there. The part about how, you know, every family both in heaven, which is not just the angels, but it's it's all of the created beings in heaven, all the spiritual beings, but also every family. Every family. You know this this past week we've we've seen some some deep wounds being reopened in in our neighbors to the south in the US with the, the, the really horrible death of George Floyd, who by all accounts is a brother of ours who is with Jesus today. And, and I want to make a quick statement on that because unfortunately, hatred and, and racism and violence that we're seeing is just another reminder that we live in this sin-cursed world, that this is not paradise. This is not the world that God asked us to to be had in mind when he created it. And, and we have a, a few police officers in our midst, Barry and Matt, and I have a, another good friend, Adam and, and Sarah. And, and they, you know, they would be the first to tell you that the 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 way that that went down was was an example of horrible policing. It was was not what policing is meant to be. And every every officer around the world would would also condemn what happened there. But it doesn't change the fact that it happened. And, and the, the violent protests that have erupted as a result of that, it, it's not justified and those aren't right either. However, we do need to make a stand. We do need to be very clear that that hatred, that bigotry, that racism is, is evil. It's wrong. And, and it's not of God. And, and I'm glad to see that, that justice was beginning to take place now and that those officers will face the consequences of their choices that day. But again, it doesn't, doesn't bring back George and it doesn't immediately remove all the problems because the reality is stupidity is still in this world. And that stupidity leads to the hatred and the, and the bigotry and the racism. But as we've been seeing throughout our, our study in the book of Ephesians, you know, there was there's a, a, a large passage in chapter 2 where Paul talked about this kind of bigotry that was going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says that that bigotry, that hatred, that racism is ultimately got to be removed in Jesus because what he's done is he's made us one body. He's made us one. And so there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither black nor white. There's neither rich or poor, male or female. That's not to say that that we just pretend that we don't have, have differences in our skin color and so forth. But what it says is that we're all equal. We're all the same. And so we need to stand united, stand together, defending those who are being unjustly persecuted. Because that's, that's what the church stands for. That's what we stand for. And so it's, uh, it's sad that today we still need to make those statements. But the reality is, until Jesus returns, we will, and it's worth a fight. All right, let's, let's come back to our passage now. I want to take a look at verse 16 now. In verse 16, Paul, he goes on in his prayer to tell us what this prayer is. That his prayer is that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power 
through his spirit in the inner man. What a, what a cool phrase this is, that we be strengthened with power. And literally, it's empowered with power. And the word for power here, strengthened with power, is, is the Greek word dunamis. And, and many of you might be familiar with it, particularly if you grew up in a charismatic denomination or a charismatic church. The word dunamis refers specifically to um, the miraculous power of God, spiritual power. It's where we get the word dynamite from or dynamic. It's this explosive power upon power. And, and so what he's saying is that, that not only would you have power, but you would be empowered with this power. You'd be empowered with the Holy Spirit power. And that this power would go all the way to your inner man, to your spirit and your soul. I mean, that just blows my mind that, that you would be basically charged up. Uh, if you could think about it this way, you'd be you know, feeling really low and, and uh, you know, low energy. And all of a sudden you get plugged into, you know, this nuclear power plant and poof, suddenly you're ready to go. It's like drinking a hundred Red Bulls at once, I guess. It's just, you have all this, this energy and strength. And I want you to think, why would we need this? Why would, why would Paul be praying that we would have all this strength and this power? Is it, What's it for? What are we going to do? Are we going to raise the dead? Are we going to, are we going to heal the sick and, and, and give sight to the blind? Or what miracles are we going to do with all this power? Well, look what Paul goes on to say. In the next passage, the next verse, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, really what he's going to say is in, these, in, in the following verses, my prayer is this, that essentially you get all this power for two things. One, that you would Trust Jesus and know his love. That's, that's what he's asking for from you and I. To trust him and know his love. To rely on his strength and his power as he lives through us and know who we are and how much he cares for us. That's, that's why we have all this power. And so this, this first part here where it talks about that Christ may dwell in your hearts. I mean, at first, it may seem odd. Why are, we, why are we inviting Jesus to come dwell in our hearts? Hasn't he already done that? Absolutely. He, he's done that at the moment of salvation. And he's not coming and going. He's not just visiting from time to time. He's taken up full residence in here. So what, what's Paul praying for in this case here? Well, it, it's not that Jesus would come but rather that, that he would dwell in our hearts in a way that he would become the central figure in our lives. You see, for me growing up, I grew up in a way where, where Jesus would show up from time to time in my life. You know, he would be there for Sunday mornings. He would be there, you know, when I remember to pray at night or, or maybe the odd time throughout the week. But for the most part, it was me and Jesus was sort of making a guest appearance. He was sort of like that, you know, that, that funny character, that loved character that would show up on the TV show, but he's not there every time. He's not in the, in the opening credits. And the reality is, he's the main character. It's all about him. And what Paul is praying for in this passage, in this verse where Christ would dwell in your hearts, what he's asking for is that, that we would be so fixated on Jesus, that we'd be so aware that it's, it's all about him, that that when, when something happens, 
either the difficult or the wonderful, the, the exciting, that we would immediately cry out to Jesus, that we would run to him, that we would, we would see him in this moment, that he would become a, a permanent fixture, no longer that guest appearance, but the main star. And, and for me, you know, that happened 20 years into my Christian walk. It, it wasn't until that I understood that that I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, that he's taken up permanent residence so that Jesus can live in and through me. And all of that is taking place, all of that's happening day in, day out, moment by moment, by faith, by trusting, by relying. And so that's what Paul's praying for here is that we would be empowered with his great power to remember, to trust, to depend upon the Christ that dwells in us right now. So that's the first thing he's praying for. The second thing he's praying for, he goes on to say in the second half of verse 17, in that you being rooted and grounded in love. Oh, I love that phrase, rooted and grounded in love. This, this is a, a beautiful picture of, of an anchor. And, and Paul uses the perfect tense here, which means that it's, it's already taken place. It's already happened. It's happened at the moment you were placed into Jesus Christ and you have been fixed and rooted in him. He becomes our, our anchor. He becomes our foundation. And, and that is an unshakable reality now. Nothing can, can take that away from us. And so although the circumstances around us might begin to shake, whether it be what's going on in, in the U.S., whether that's be going on with COVID-19, whether it be what's going on in your own world or what's going on in your own household or even what's going on in your own soul. That while there may be shaking happening, nothing's changing with the reality that you are rooted in love, that you are, are planted in love, that you have this solid, solid ground that you're on top of. That can't be shaken. So we're rooted and grounded in love in order in verse 19 that says, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Huh. This, this first word here, know, to know the love of Christ, it's the Greek word gnosko. And this, this word gnosko is not a knowing about. It's not information. It, it's an intimate knowledge. It's a, it's a deep personal knowledge. It, it, it's more than just knowing about certain things. And it's, it's a personal knowledge. And Paul's praying that you would not know in a factual way that God loves you, but you would know it in an intimate way. But here's what's really amazing to me. He says that you would know it in a way that surpasses knowledge. And in, in fact, that second word for knowledge is the same word, root word, gnosko. So it's interesting that you would have a knowing, a gnosko knowledge that is beyond a gnosko knowledge. I thought about what what does that mean? What does that say? And, And what Paul was getting at is basically this, is that you would know that you 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 are loved. That you are so rooted and grounded in that, that that nothing can move you from that knowledge that you're the one that Jesus loves. That, that I would be so rooted in that, Paul's praying for me, that, that you could come along and you can convince me of all kinds of things. Maybe you could convince me that the sky is orange right now and that left is right and upside down is sideways. Maybe you could convince me that, 
that you know Pepsi is better than Coke, and you know that you know country music is the music of angels. I don't know. Maybe you can convince me of a bunch of things, but the one thing you could never sway me on, the one thing that you could never change, is that I know I'm the one that Jesus loves. That I'm so confident in that. That's what Paul's praying for. That we have that solid, rock solid understanding, being rooted and grounded in that love, that Jesus loves me. So let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. We're going to play a bit of a devil's advocate, and you know, no pun intended, but literally a devil's advocate here. Imagine, imagine you're sitting there before Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and as it talks about in Romans 12, we have the accuser of the brethren your accuser who is accusing you day and night before the Father. I mean, what he's doing is he's attacking your character before God. He is, he is making a case. He is presenting a legal argument for all the reasons why, why God ought to reject you, why you're not, you're not good enough. You're too much of a mess. You don't have what it takes. You're, you're, you're something that, that makes you disqualified now from God's love. And so he begins the argument, and he, and he talks about your failures, all the times that you've, you've let God down, the times you've let others down, the, the times you've even let yourself down, how you have betrayed your conscience and you've, you've betrayed your, your morals, and all the sinful habits that you have that you, you can't seem to shake, your, your problems with, with drinking, your, your problems with pornography, your, your problems with, with hiding and running away from, uh, from other problems, whether it be watching too much Netflix or playing video games or just, just clamming up and disappearing. Maybe it's the weakness that you consistently show and, and how you just can't seem to do enough around the house. Maybe it's the burden you feel that you are to other people. Maybe it's the guilt and the shame that you feel from all the other people you've hurt from your past, where you have taken advantage of people and you've manipulated people and you used anger and, and violence to, to hurt them. Maybe it's because you've been hurt. People have taken advantage of you and abused you, used you, discarded you. Maybe he's, he's reminding about how You've been discarded so many times by so many people that you're clearly just a, a piece of trash, just use Kleenex to be used by others and discarded. Maybe, maybe he's bringing up the fact that you're different, but in all the wrong ways. How you've been mistreated. How you're boring. Maybe he brings up the COVID-20. And, I, and you might think, well, Ross, it's COVID-19. No, I'm talking about the 20 pounds you've added since covid 19s begun. And so you just don't look right anymore. You don't, you don't look attractive in your mind. And so he's bringing that up over and over again. Or maybe he talks about how you've just been forgotten. But no one really cares about you. You're not, not important. That the only thing special about you is that you're not actually special. And that you've been damaged and you're inadequate and you're just so needy to people. And therefore, you've got nothing to offer. 
That's really the charge that our enemy makes to you every day throughout the day. And I want you to imagine he's making that case before God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's an impassioned argument he's making. And he's, he's bringing up evidence and, and, and case studies and reasons why that's the reality of it. And, and the reality is, based on your time on earth, he's got a lot to draw from. And so after wearied from making that argument, he sits down with a, a rather satisfied grin on his face, thinking that surely the case he's made is airtight. Surely there's no holes in this. And at that moment, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit begin to confer. They kind of they kind of look at one another and they give a knowing nod to, to imply that they've all they all are in agreement here. And they look at the our enemy, they look at the accuser, and, and they say something to the effect of that's that's it. That that that's your case? That that's all you've got? I mean, what, what you say is not news to us. It's not new to us. We, we've known about all of that. We've known their history. We've known their past. We know their struggles. And we even know what is going to come. But you see, none of it is relevant. See, none of that matters to why we love. Because our love is not reactionary. Our love is not a response to what they do or don't do. Rather, our, our love is an outpouring of who we are. <laughs> we, just, we just love them. We just love her. And, and the enemy is, is dumbfounded and he's shocked because this love truly is unheard of. Because it's not deserved. It's not based on merit. It's based on God's grace and his mercy and his compassion that while we were yet sinners, while we were no good, God says, I love you. And so he turns one last time at our accuser and he says to him, please understand that neither life nor death, angels nor demons nor principalities, nor things present nor things future, nor height nor depth, nor anything created can separate my child from my love. My love is constant, and it's perfect, and it's pure. And at that moment, he, he turns to you with a smile, and he, he invites you now to join him on his lap. And so you come and you sit with your father, and he holds you tight and close, pulls you into his chest, and you just rest. You rest in the knowledge that you know, that you know, that you know, that you're safe, that you're secure, that you are rooted and grounded in his love. That's what Paul's praying for here. That's, that's why you and I need the power of the Holy Spirit, because to understand that love, to trust that love is so hard. It's so hard because... The, the reality is the accuser doesn't just shut up at that point. He just starts all over again. And he, he plays out and makes the case and, and brings up the charges and says, but, but here's more evidence. Or, or he comes back and he circles around to particular evidence, particular moments, particular failures. 
and shame and guilt begin to creep into the edges of our soul. And that's when God whispers again, know my love, trust my love. My love's enough. My love has made you enough. My love has made you worthy. You are safe. Look to me. Trust me. And that's why we need this power. That's why we need this strength that God's giving to us. And so he, he concludes verse 19 by saying this. He says that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. See, that was, the, that was the plan, that was the goal that God would do all this, that, that, that this power, this strength, this, this knowledge, this comprehension would allow us to be filled to overflowing. The word here for, for filled, literally what it means is to cram. It's the stuff. And, and that's what Paul's praying for, that this love that surpasses knowledge, that doesn't make sense, is, is being crammed and pushed in more and more to the point where it's overflowing. So let me, let me give you this illustration. I, I want you to imagine that, that, that God invites you into a treasure room, and it's got, it's got gold coins, Spanish bullion, because that, that sounds expensive and more valuable than just regular gold coins, right? So it, it's got the, the most exotic, expensive, valuable gold coins. And it's just, it's like, you know, what was the, the, the Disney duck cartoon that would go swimming in the, the, you know, his pool of gold coins? That's sort of the idea of it, right? And, and so he says, fill up, take as much as you need, as much as you want. And so you immediately begin to, you stuff, you know, every pocket with gold coin to the point where they're spilling out. You, you take your socks and shoes off and, and use them and you tie your shoes around your, 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 uh, your neck and they become pockets in which you, you uh, can stuff the gold coins in. You, you find a sack and you, you fill it up with as much gold coins as your body can handle. And, and then you, you use your shirt and you begin to stuff gold coins in your shirt and it becomes another way to, to carry it. You balance gold coins on your head. You, you're doing every, everything you can to carry off as much treasure as you possibly can to the point where with every step, gold coins are just spilling everywhere. And yet you don't seem to have lost anything because you just are overflowing with it. That's, that's the picture that God's giving to us. That, that we are being crammed with him. We are being, that his life, Jesus is being pushed into us deeper and deeper. And, and we're so filled up with him that Jesus is overflowing into those around us. So let me, let me kind of diagram this passage for you to kind of see how it sort of looks to us. And so basically Paul's been praying and the prayer is this, that you and I would be given great power, dynamite power, explosive power, overwhelming power in order that we would depend on Jesus, that we would trust him, rely upon his life and know that we know that we know that he loves us. That, that he, we would know both who he is to us and in us and who we are to him. 
that we would, we would know that his life is available for whatever you face, whatever struggle you're dealing with. And that also that his love for us has, has transformed you into a perfect new person, beloved, righteous. And that knowledge, that knowing in an intimate way would allow the life of Jesus to just spill out with every step, everywhere we go, as these gold coins are being shed, the life of Jesus is just being dropped on those around us. And they get to experience this love. They get to experience Jesus. And, and that's why I say that this world is hurting. This world is desperate. What it needs is Jesus. It's, it's the only cure. It's the only answer. It's, it's not more effort. It's not more work. It's, it's not better behavior. It's certainly not more rules and laws. It's, it's not more hatred. It's the love of Christ. And that's what we get to offer this world. That's what we get to share with this world around us. And that's what, that's what we hope to be as, as new life. We hope, hope to be an, a small part of God's larger kingdom a part of the church, not a church amongst other churches, but part of the church. And we get to share his glory, share his life to the world around us. Well, I thought about how do I close in prayer after such a majestic prayer. And I thought really the only appropriate prayer is really the prayer that Paul prayed itself. So wherever you are right now, I want to invite you to, to adopt a posture of receiving. And for some of you, what that means is to bow a knee, kind of like Paul did. And to bow your knee and, and open up your palms, open up your hands to heaven, and just adopt a posture of, of receiving. For others, I want maybe you need to stand up and do this. And know that in standing up, you are making a statement of who you are as a child, that you're not a wretch, you're not a, a, a forgotten or worthless, no good sinner. And you're a saint that gets to stand in his presence because we've got access to him as we've been seeing. So maybe you stand right now with your arms open wide. However it is, I just want you to adopt a posture of receiving and receive this prayer that Paul prayed, and right now I'm going to pray for you. For this reason. For all that God has done, for who you are, for the freedom he's given to us, I bow my knees. I pray before our Father, our provider, our comforter, our source of life, our source of everything from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We're all equal under him. That he, this wonderful father, would grant to you, would give to you, would gift to you, according not to what you've deserved and not what you've earned, but according to the riches of his glory the boundless limits of what he has to be strengthened with power 
to have power upon power. With his spirit, his powerful Holy Spirit, powering your spirit, your soul, empowering your inner man. So that number one, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you would trust him, that you would rely upon his strength and his power day in, day out. That you would see he's here right now. And two, being rooted and grounded in love, that you would be able to comprehend, that you would have power to understand, to grasp, to fathom the boundless height and depth, length and width, the limitless love, along with all the saints, you would know, you would know that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. So trusting him and knowing his love, you would be filled up, crammed, to overflowing the fullness of God in and through you. Bless your new life. Have a great day. Thank you.